For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. This week, turkey season ended here at Meat Eater headquarters in the state of Montana, so all my turkey facts are over. After this little tidbit, that is, you should know that Benjamin Franklin spoke more highly of the wild turkey than our national bird, the bald eagle. He thought the bald eagle was a bad moral character and a rank coward, while the wild turkey was a little vain and silly, but at least courageous. So keep that in mind. This too. Turkeys have a cloaca, what you could refer to as a uni-hole or a one-hole-does-all situation. Wow. The cloaca is defined as a common cavity at the end of the digestive tract for the release of both excretory and genital products, as in the cloaca is the only hole for the digestive, reproductive, and urinary tracts. You know, you can actually tell a turkey's sex by its poop. This has to do with the shape of a turkey's cloaca. The male has a sort of pecker-like structure, which causes a constriction in its cloaca, so the poop passes through a narrow channel, which leaves its dropping cylindrical with a little J-hook on the end. There's more of a cavity in the female's cloaca to accommodate eggs, which lets the poop spread out and form a coiled blob. Some folks will give a different theory on this, which is that a hen can hold her poop, but a male can't. She does this so as not to defile her nest site. Somehow, it's thought that holding her poop makes it change shape, and him not holding produces the J-hook. Personally, I'm going to go with the shape of the cloaca explanation. Now that we covered how things go out of turkeys, what about things going in? Well, I'll tell you. From the outside, it does appear both the male and female have basically the same parts. They don't, obviously. When it's time to get down to business, the birds line up and touch their respective cloaca together, 
The male sperm is injected into the female, typically in less than 10 seconds of copulation. This act, not limited to just turkeys, the you know, the touching of the cloaca, not the 10 seconds of copulation, is not limited to just turkeys. Anyway, this act, not limited to just turkeys, is known as a cloacal kiss. Moving on. This week, we've got Cat Rush 2019. White-tailed deer, news from Florida, beavers, flesh-eating bacteria, and we'll get in a whole lot more. But first... I'm going to tell you about my week. A fellow by the name of CJ wrote in and asked me, said, Cal, is it bad to remove shed antlers from the woods? Don't the squirrels and small critters that chew on them get nutritional benefit? Do we know how necessary that resource is for them? What's the impact of removing all those shed antlers on the smaller critters roaming around the woods? Great question. Well, here's what I've found out. It seems that there's no doubt that shed antlers of all types if left long enough, are eventually eaten or distributed back into the soil by natural degradation. Calcium and phosphorus make up the bulk of the minerals in deer antlers, comprising 30 to 35% of the mature antler by weight. I say mature antler because this is like when the antler is uh, hard-horned versus in velvet. It's done growing. Had to clear that up. In addition, to calcium and phosphorus, a University of Georgia study detected nine more minerals in whitetail antlers. The next most common elements were magnesium and sodium, then potassium, barium, iron, aluminum, zinc, strontium, and manganese. Studies on whitetail specifically suggest that deer show a clear need for sodium. Salty. But they don't demonstrate a clear need for mineral deposits that lack sodium. These studies, this evidence, would suggest that picking up antlers won't necessarily impact deer. As for the other critters, you know, those studies I haven't found. Uh, Now, for my anecdotal evidence, I have areas where I shed hunt and have shed hunted for years, where regardless of the time of year, it is rare to find a bite mark on an antler. No bite marks from deer, porcupines, squirrels, or otherwise. In other areas... If you weren't picking up antler as close to the time they dropped as possible, it is more than likely that the shed you pick up will have been chewed on to some degree or pretty much eaten up entirely. This evidence, although, again, anecdotal, would suggest that the shed antler and the mineral within has more value to wildlife in some areas than in others. You could extrapolate that out and come to the conclusion that if the mineral and the antler is valuable, then mineral could be lacking from the soil and general area. So the return of that mineral to the soil is of high value as well. Just something to think on, as I have not found any studies specific to this question floating around out there just yet. I find it nearly impossible to not strap a shed antler on my pack when I come across it. At the same time, I do find it hard to imagine that Mother Nature would be cool with me hauling away all of these admittedly preposterous ornaments that animals grow on top of their heads in order to someday maybe turn them into a chandelier. Now, got a little housekeeping to take care of before we move on. In episode... One of Cal's Week in Review titled Murderous Birds, Wildlife Bridges, and the Year of the Cat. I screwed up, which is embarrassing. 
what happened is that I credited defenders of wildlife for leading the ridiculous and unnecessary push to end all forms of cat hunting in British Columbia. I should have said the Wildlife Defense League, who is, in fact, the guilty party. Sincerest apologies to defenders of wildlife. All right, that's it for my week. Let's move on to this week by starting off with some quick hitters. Then we'll tackle a couple of bigger topics. Six national parks in the D.C. area have provided more than 19,000 pounds of white-tailed deer meat, or roughly 75,000 meals to local nonprofits. White-tailed deer populations are booming, and the deer tend to thrive in the kind of edge habitat that these parks, many of which are Civil War battlefields, provide. The parks are managing the deer herds to protect and restore native plants. In some cases, reports indicate that the deer are so prolific they have eaten nearly all treed seedlings, preventing the forest from being able to regenerate. In the parks where the deer management or culling has occurred, such as Catoctin Mountain Park, in Maryland, they've seen almost an 11-fold increase in tree and shrub density. Since we're on whitetail, the state of Vermont has just recorded its oldest known hunter-killed whitetail. Vermont hunters were asked to turn in a tooth from harvested deer last season. The results are in. 3,914 hunters turned in teeth during Vermont's 2018 season. The oldest buck was 12 years old, which is very impressive. The oldest doe taken by a youth hunter from Braintree came in at an astounding 20 years old. This ties the record for the oldest known deer in Vermont, hunter killed or not, which was a 20-year-old deer that got hit by a car. The next time you hear some old timer talk about the good old days of white-tailed deer hunting, politely remind him that those good old days are happening right now. If you want to know exactly how good things are, go to TheMeatEater.com, where our very own Spencer Newharth has an article called 2018, the year of record-breaking bucks. You know, I'll take just a quick second here to talk about another character over here at Meat Eater. That's Ben O'Brien. Ben O'Brien moved from Dripping Springs, Texas, in order to work for Meat Eater. Now... What's interesting about Dripping Springs, Texas, is it was founded by a guy with the last name of Pound. There is currently a movement to rename Dripping Springs to Pound Town. I don't know how far they're going to get with that. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it 
you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on. Also in 2018... Florida wildlife conservation officers were notified of a five feet, 20 pound lizard in the Key Largo area. They've been on the hunt for that lizard ever since. Turns out that it was an Asian water monitor, which proved to be a very difficult critter to catch. Ultimately though, it was caught by using a combination of motion sensor cameras and live traps. The Asian water monitor, which is native to South and Southeast Asia, is the second heaviest lizard species behind the Komodo dragon. These opportunistic eaters have wide diets that can include everything from mollusks to mice and turtles to birds. They've been known to grow over nine and a half feet long, hit 150 pounds. Now, in order to get that big, they have to eat a lot and often. A lizard the size of this one in Florida probably eats three to five times a week. So that's a minimum of 156 birds or reptiles or mammals that this escaped pet consumed during its year-long Key Largo vacation. It's good for the local wildlife that it didn't encounter an Asian water monitor of the opposite sex and turn that little vacation into a romantic honeymoon. For now, Florida is rid of at least one singular invasive species. Elsewhere in Florida, a man stabbed himself with a fishing hook while fishing and almost lost his arm. When the Pinellas County angler made it back to shore from a fishing excursion, his hook-wounded hand got all swollen and painful. Recognizing this as a strange reaction to a common fishing injury, our angler sought medical attention and the hand was treated with antibiotics. The following morning, the angler found black blisters had formed around his wound and up his arm. Infectious disease doctors from the burn unit were able to diagnose the symptoms as necrotizing fasciitis a strain of rare flesh-eating bacteria. Surgeons were considering amputating the angler's arm until they eventually curbed the infection. Just a month before the fish hook incident, an Ohio man was vacationing in Florida and did a bit of kayaking outside of Tampa Bay. On his flight home, what he thought was a sunburn on his leg swelled to concerning levels. Upon landing, doctors spent 11 days working hard to avoid amputating that limb. It was the same thing flesh-eating bacteria 
Between 2006 and 2018, the Florida Department of Health has documented 349 cases of people who've contracted a form of flesh-eating bacteria, such as Vibrio vulnificus, or necrotizing fasciitis. 99 of these cases resulted in death. The Florida man with the sore hand wasn't the only angler to get beat up. Another Florida angler in Wesley Chapel got whooped by his girlfriend. Apparently, an argument over proper child care ended with a thrown kitchen pot to the head of the angler. The man who had spent, quote, the last couple days fishing instead of performing his fatherly duties. The girlfriend is charged with domestic battery. If the guy had half a brain and a bit of a conscience, he'd take his kid fishing. His girlfriend would probably thank him instead of whooping him with a pot and now being charged with domestic battery. North of here, over in Greene County, Georgia, a couple fishing under the I-20 bridge on Lake Oconee pulled in a satchel containing two guns and some jewelry. Due to engraving on one of the pieces of jewelry, investigators were able to track down the former owner's son in Auburn, Alabama, who confirmed the items were stolen from his father back in 1993. I like stories like that think it's neat to get a surprise on the end of your line every once in a while and who doesn't like to get their long lost stuff back a couple of interesting things have been documented regarding tool use in other species i'm transitioning here from stuff underneath the bridge to things that i think are neat which are animals using tools anyway a couple of interesting things have been documented regarding tool use in other species late last year a guy's trail cam caught a striped skunk using a rock to break through a layer of ice on top of a water bowl set out for a dog. The skunk picked up a rock between its front paws and proceeded to procure itself a drink. That's tool use. And just recently, scientists from the University of Akron observed the triangle weaver spider using its web, which it unsurprisingly weaves into a triangle, the triangle weaver spider hauls on a line of web attached to the point of the triangle until it's stretched taut like a bow. When potential prey passes by, the spider releases this stored tension in the web, catapulting the web and itself onto its victim. Another example of tool use from the animal world. I bring this up because we're always pointing out examples of animals being like us or not like us. Some people love stories that make animals seem more human-like by using tools, for instance. Others would prefer that we keep our corner on the tool use market. On top of that, we have a sort of prejudice about which species we celebrate. A chimpanzee uses a tool, everyone gets all excited. Some skunk or spider uses a tool, nobody really talks about it. Come on, people. Now... From our fishing records desk, I feel, without doing too much digging, that when it comes to record books, folks are more inclined to get into trouble for stretching the truth in the fishing categories. Something of this nature just recently came to light in South Dakota, though it could be categorized as an honest mistake. What happened is that South Dakota just voided its longest-standing fish record, that of a channel catfish weighing 55 pounds, which is a big-ass channel cat. The fish was caught by a guy named Roy Groves. To give you an idea of just how big of a channel cat this would have been, this 55-pounder was also the world record channel cat for 15 years until a South Carolina angler broke that record back in 1964. Oddly enough, the South Carolina angler was fishing in a lake famous for big blue cats. That'll come in later. 
why would South Dakota declare such a long-standing record null and void after all these years? I'll tell you why. Unluckily for Roy, there was photographic evidence of his catch. And over the years, whenever catfish aficionados have looked upon this yellowing photograph, they'd often comment on that being a nice blue catfish instead of a channel catfish. That's right. It was somehow classified as the wrong species. How could this happen? One might ask. After all, blue catfish can get to be well over 100 pounds, but channel catfish rarely exceed 30. The height of the blue cat is unspotted and generally has a bluish tint, while the channel cat is generally gray with speckles or olive-colored spots. But these relatively easy clues that distinguish a channel cat can get a little bit murkier as the fish gets into the 10 to 50 pound range. Channel cats will generally start losing their spots as they creep into old age. Anyone who has fished for a while can also tell you that coloration can vary within a species. On occasion, a brown trout can look awfully silver, and a fish like the Atlantic salmon can look a lot like a brown trout after it's been in the fresh water for a bit. But there's a bulletproof way to tell a blue from a channel, which is why so many folks who have seen the photo of Roy Grove's fish gave pause. There's a fin on all of America's catfish called the anal fin. It's located between the vent and the tail fin on the bottom or ventral side of the catfish. A channel catfish has a curved anal fin with 24 to 29 anal rays. A blue cat has a straight anal fin with 30 to 36 anal rays. Although the photograph from 1949 is faded, yellowed, and blurry, one can clearly see the anal fin is straight as a damn board. Before you start feeling too bad for Roy Groves, take heart in the fact that his reclassified channel catfish now sits as a record blue catfish, albeit way lower than number one. It should also be noted that his channel catfish had actually landed him the national record books for a while. However, erroneously, until it was beat by a real channel catfish weighing 58 pounds from Santee Reservoir, South Carolina, in the year 1964. At this point, Roy has had the same fish land him in three record books. That's not a bad day on the water. If you're looking to see your own name in the record books, South Dakota is the place to do it. And right now, the channel cat record has been reset to zero, meaning any entrant will be a state record holder. Just like when gold was discovered in the Klondike and folks struck out for the wild seeking fame and fortune, the waters of South Dakota are inviting the same kind of fever. The state has declared Cat Rush 2019. All you have to beat is the new verified channel cat record of 8 pounds, 3 ounces. I'm going to hit you with one more before we go. The city council of New York City has proposed a bill to ban fur sales. To make this complicated right out of the gate, new fur sales specifically would be banned. Recycled fur, as in old fur on new garments, will be fine, as are vintage furs, but not that new-new fur. Also, there are no restrictions on leather, which I find odd, seeing as how a piece of leather is a fur with the fur all scraped away. I don't think this distinction matters one little bit to the critter who supplies the fur or leather, but the New York City City Council must have a better understanding of animal hides than I do. Right now, the fur market in New York City is located in the fur district south of Penn Station in midtown Manhattan. Pretty fitting. Roughly 150 businesses creating 1,100 jobs and bringing in around $400 million in revenue. Despite that, it's not what it once was. 
One of the founding fathers of New York City is, of course, John Jacob Astor. When he died in 1848, his net worth was an estimated $20 million. In today's money, that would be $626,956,962.03. couple of interesting facts about Astor. He opened his New York City shop in 1786, and then he formed the American Fur Company in 1808. The American Fur Company is credited by some for delaying British trade resources on the West Coast just long enough to prevent permanent British establishment there. Additionally, the men of the American Fur Company identified what would become the Oregon Trail and inadvertently opened the West to settlement. Beaver pelts allowed Astor to initiate his fortune, which he later leveraged into a myriad other business operations that built New York. If you look at the state seal of New York, you'll find not one beaver, but two. Now, the city council might take the beaver out of New York, but you can't take the... Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Thanks for listening to Cal's Week in Review. Remember to subscribe and hit that furthest right-hand star when you do. If you want to get a hold of me directly, please write into askcal at themeateater.com. A-S-K-C-A-L at themeateater.com. Additionally, if you want to check out more amazing stuff from the natural world, please check out themeateater.com. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.